It is Wednesday, September 21st, and we are in the book of James. We're going to read out of chapter 4. We ended with verse 8 last week. So verse 9, Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He shall lift you up. Speak not evil one of another, brethren. He that speaketh evil of his brother, and judges his brother, speaketh evil of the law, and judges the law. But if thou judge the law, thou art a doer, not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy, who art thou that judgest another? Now, I was reading this in the Geneva Bible, and one of the criticisms of the King James is there are places where there are words that refer to Christ that aren't capitalized. And here's one of those cases. Uh, there is one lawgiver, and it's the lowercase l, and in my Geneva Bible, which that Bible came out before the King James did, it's, it, it capitalized it. Now, I can't tell you that it was capitalized back then, but the people who restored, redid the Geneva Bible, they made a point that any place in the Geneva Bible, the new one that's out in the, you have to be careful about, especially the Geneva Bible, because there are some counterfeits out there that have the title, but it's not the Geneva Bible. You got to be really, really careful. The one I have is a Patriots edition, and it says uh, $15.99 on the front of it. $15, see that? It's $15.99. So they're trying to restore that one that came out. Now when King James came on the scene, he didn't like the Geneva Bible because at the, at, in the margins there was notes all through it. And he was a king, right? Well, you get to certain parts of the Bible and it will talk bad about the monarchy. He was a king. He didn't like those notes because it talked bad against what he was part of. I think God was using something and using a person that did not like the notes to get a Bible that was strictly the Word of God without human notes in it. So even though the Geneva Bible was a very good Bible, and it actually helped people to understand, but it was man's thoughts. So the Geneva Bible came over to the United States on the Mayflower. That's what they had. I mean, that was in the early 1600s. Think about the people who came over to Jamestown. That was a few, just a few years before the King James actually was established in 1611. Okay, well, so see that 1599? Well, there were later editions that came out. The common people, that's what they had. They had the Geneva Bible. 
the Roman Catholics hated the fact that people had a Bible they could read. Well, even though King James was a fan of the people having the Word of God, he didn't quite like this Geneva Bible because of all of those extras that was added into it. So he said no more new editions can be done. Well, in 16, it might have been 20-something, two different dates passed 1590. See, 1599 was already out. That one was already out. So he said no new ones. But they went ahead and ran a bunch of new ones, and instead of putting the date on it, they put 1599 on it and sent them out. So if they ran across them, they oh, that's a 1599. That's not a new one. They did that twice. But it got the Bible to the common people. And it was a good study Bible, probably the first true study Bible. But anyway, in here they change anything that had a lowercase that referred to deity. They, they put the uh, big letter in there, the capital letter to, begin, to start it. But in the King James, it doesn't always do that. But it's pretty clear that it is talking about Jesus here. You don't have to wonder. All right, so, all right, let's back up. In verse 8 that we finished up with last week, it says, draw nigh to God, which means draw near to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Then it says, cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Now, the Word of God knows human beings. When you read this, it is reading you. And you read this and you know that you do need to cleanse your hands, which means the works that you do. It doesn't mean go, go, go in here right now and wash your hands. No, that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about the things that you go and do. It's, it's, it's just a picture. It's, uh, purify your hearts. You're going to get some cleaner, and you're going to try to clean your heart? You're going to try to do that? It means, you know what it means. You need to have better thoughts, don't go places, and look at things that are going to harden your heart, uh, make you angry, hear, hear things that are, that are going to uh, cause you to make bad decisions and not want to help people and those type of things. You need to purify your heart. All right, so if, again, James is a book of the Bible that talks about doing. Now, you must be careful not to turn this into a work salvation. You, you don't do all these things to get saved. You do all those things because you are saved. Okay? Making the decision to draw near to God, I think people can do that before they're saved. I really do. There's, there's some denomination out there that says, no, a person could never actually make a decision to move toward God if they're not saved. And that's the total depravity crowd. But we're not totally depraved as human beings. 
we're totally depraved in that we cannot do anything to earn salvation, but we aren't totally depraved in being able to make good decisions or not. Remember the example, the story that we've been talking about lately. Ruth made a decision because of her mother-in-law and what her mother-in-law taught her, told about her land, and Ruth wanted to go with her. She made a decision that was going to draw her nigh to God, but she had not met the kinsman redeemer yet. So we have to go out there and, and know that people, as dirty, rotten scoundrels they may be, can make a good decision or they can make a bad decision. There's plenty of people out there in the world that are very good citizens. They want to obey the laws. They want to help others, and they're not one bit saved. They never go to church. They don't believe in any of that. There are good people out there that have hearts that want to help people. So to come out and to preach that a person is totally depraved if you don't understand Bible doctrine, it's really going to mess people up. When I hear a preacher say that people are totally depraved, I understand what he means, but the common person doesn't. And, I, and, and I've tried to get people to, uh, to see it as our great-great-great-great-great-grandfather, Adam, in the garden. He ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We are descendants of Adam. We know the difference between good and evil. Okay? We do know. That's what makes sin so bad. You know what to do, but you don't do it anyway. You know good, but you still don't do it anyway. That's what makes it so bad. The last verse uh, in 17, Therefore to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Even when we become saved. This is talking about people who are in the family of God right here. We're, this whole thing that we're, we're seeing here, it's about brethren. In, in 11 it says, Speak not evil one of another, brethren. That's us. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. If everybody in here is truly born again, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And this is what he's, he's talking about those types of people. So even when you become born again, because to be born again, you hear the Word, you hear what's in the Bible, you start to understand who Jesus really is. He was born of a virgin, miraculous conception by the Holy Spirit, and he comes into this world as a little baby, and you got to think, why would God do it that way? He had a good reason for it. And Jesus grows up perfect, without spot or blemish, and he ends up going to a cross and dying in our spot, so that when we believe on him, then all of our sins are taken away because of what He did for us. It was the shedding of blood that washed us from our sins. Then the Holy Spirit comes inside of us, 
And then we, because of that, are called righteous. We get the righteousness of Christ, even though we can't boast about any kind of our own righteousness. As long as we get all of that, then we are saved. Born again, children of God. And we still need the Bible to show us how to live that Christian life. Because we've got all kinds of examples of people who've been in church for years and years that still don't live like Jesus would live. All of us are guilty. We're, we don't measure up to Jesus. And, we, and we're trying. We're, we're, we want that. We won't ever get there until we're gone to heaven. Okay? But we're trying. We're trying to be a good representative of our Heavenly Father, and we're out making sure people understand that it doesn't matter how many bad sins you've done, He can cleanse them not all. And it's even harder to get to the people who haven't done a lot of bad sins. They think they're good. They think God would surely pick them over all of those other people that are so bad, and it's really hard to convince them that, see, that's that doctrine of total depravity. That person thinks they're good, but they're just as lost as the worst sinner. But they can make a good decision to accept the gospel or to reject it. Now, there's all kinds of verses that you can go to that supports. We, have, we can't make any good decisions. Uh, we, no one does good, no, not one. I mean, I, I know all those verses, but then I see all these other verses, and I see stories where lost people make a decision. Maybe it's the Holy Spirit. It's touched them, and they turn. They make a good decision because the Holy Spirit has, has done something to them. I'm not going to try to figure all that out. Why? Why try to figure out why people make a good decision? Why not? I'm told in the Word of God to give the Word out, to preach it, teach it, take it wherever I, I go. I need to do that. Each and every one of us do that. We don't have to have all those things figured out. We just do what God tells us to do. So, in this cleansing of hands and purifying of the heart, it says, Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Now, that just sounds so depressing. It is critical that we understand how messed up we are and how deserving of hell we are. And any kind of pride that you had in your life, anything at all, you need to get to that point where you see how filthy you are and how much in need of the shed blood of Jesus you're in. Yep. And, and it should cause you just to fall down. You know, in the story of uh, Pilgrim's Progress, beautiful story, a Christian classic. Christian, the character Christian had, he, he goes and reads out of the book, the book. And when he reads it, from that point, he is a person walking along with this huge load on his back. He's walking around, can barely stand up. And he's just, everywhere he goes, he's struggling because he has all this stuff on top of him. 
until he meets evangelists, he can't get rid of that. So when we learn about the Word of God, it should be convicting us about all the bad things that are in our life. Look, there's things that you may not know at one point in your life that it's sin. You may not understand it. And that's why so many people avoid church. They avoid reading the Bible because they like their sin and they don't want to be convicted of it. But the Bible is going to convict you of the sin that's in your life and you're going to start feeling the burden. It's going to start weighing you down. It's going to cause you to uh, have this feeling of something's got to change. I need help. And, and hopefully it gets you to the point where you realize, I can't fix this. I need someone to lift this off of me. So the character Christian, with all that load, he meets evangelists, and evangelists directs him to Calvary, to the cross. So he's going to try to do it his own way. He's going to try to get rid of all these burdens, but evangelists like, no, no, it'll never work. You'll die in the process. You'll get crushed by that mountain that you're going to try to go up. You need to go over there. Yeah, but it looks like it's such a narrow path, it'd be hard to get to. Yeah, exactly. But that's where you need to go. Go over there. And he goes there, and he goes to Calvary and the cross, and the the burden falls off of him when he believes on what Jesus did for him. So I think that's what it's talking about right here. We need to to understand when, when we go to go through the process of cleansing our hands of all the dirty deeds we've done with with ourselves and purify our hearts, we need to understand that if we try to do that, we're going to fail. we got to turn to Jesus, to that lawgiver, the one lawgiver, down in verse 12, who is able to save and to destroy. Jesus is either going to baptize you into the Holy Ghost or He's going to baptize you into the fire. It's one or the other. He's, he's a just God. He's got to do everything that's right. And if you're not hid in Jesus, then He sees you for what you are, which is deserving of hell. And that's where you're going. But if you believe on Jesus, and you're hid in Him, when God looks down on you, you're hid inside of Jesus, and He sees nothing but perfectness. We must be in Him. I was listening to uh, a preacher I mentioned Sunday morning uh, in Sunday school. I won't say his name, but y'all know who I'm talking about. But he was talking about, I was listening to, uh, somebody recommended him. So I was listening to one of his messages, and he was talking about uh, being in an airplane. Like, like you being in the Spirit is kind of like being in an airplane 39,000 feet traveling at 600 miles an hour, and you think, look at me. Look at how high I am and how fast I am going. It's like, it's only because you're in the airplane. You're in the airplane. So all, anything good you do, anybody you bring to the Lord, all that stuff, it's, you better be in Christ because that's where you're getting all your power. Anything you can brag about, it's because you're in Christ. And he says, if you don't believe me, just step outside the airplane, and you'll realize just how fast you'll fall. 
and how you can do nothing on your, of your own. You need to be in the Spirit. You need to be in Jesus Christ. So humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He shall lift you up. Now this speaking, speak not evil one of another. There is a story in the Old Testament. All right, before I go there, remember what chapter 3 was about. Remember James 3? The tongue. All right, what's it saying right now over here in 4? Talking about speaking, speaking evil. That's talking bad about another Christian, another person within maybe even your own church. So, you know, I didn't mention that person's name. You know, there are some things that I'm not going to speak evil of them, but there's just things that don't line up with my doctrine. And maybe he's got some things figured out that I don't yet. But I don't want to pull him down. I just, I got to be very careful what I say. Because the tongue is such a small member, but you can't tame it. The same tongue that we pray to God and bless the Lord, that same tongue is the same tongue that will destroy you. It can destroy you. So we must be very careful. Well, as you're going through Proverbs, talking about going through Proverbs, you might want to take note of every time in the, as you're going through all the Proverbs, you may want to keep a notebook handy and just write down every time it talks about the tongue, lips, mouth, the things that are spoken, uh, where it encourages you to be silent you know, or to be slow to speak. We're supposed to be quick to hear. We have two ears, only one tongue. So we're supposed to listen twice as much as we talk, right? Okay, now, uh, the tongue. All of chapter 3 is dedicated to it. It's, there's other places throughout James, and James is not a very big epistle. Very small, five chapters. And it's throughout. What did prophets do in the Old Testament? They spoke. Prophets went and told people things. If they didn't do it, bad things would happen. If the people obeyed what the prophet said, then good things happened. Look at Jonah. <laughs> Jonah, he, he wanted nothing to do with the Assyrian people. He wanted them to be judged and destroyed. That's what he wanted. And God literally swallowed him up and puked him out on a beach and said, go, talk to those people. And, and he, his heart was not in the sermon he preached to them. Yet they all <coughs> repented. Spoke eight words that the Bible records. Eight words. I passed eight a long time ago. So now there's a prophet that I want to talk about. I've talked about this guy before. And I'm going to start reading this, and I'm going to see if you remember his name. This is in uh, 1 Kings chapter 13. 1 Kings chapter 13. You don't have to turn there. You can if you want. It says, And behold, there came a man of God out of Judah by the word of the Lord unto Bethel, and Jeroboam stood by the altar to burn incense, and he cried against the altar. This, this prophet cried against the altar, 
in the word of the Lord, and said, O altar, altar, thus saith the Lord, Behold, a child shall be born unto the house of David, Josiah by name. And I think that, I think that doesn't happen until, was it 300? I can't remember now. I used to know. It was hundreds of years later before jo- Josiah shows up. All right, before I go any further, do you all remember the name of this prophet? Huh? You don't remember? Good, because the Bible never says his name. <laughs> y'all, are, y'all are good. Y'all are doing good. <clears throat> and upon thee shall he offer the priest of the high places that burn incense upon thee, and men's bones shall be burnt upon thee. He's talking about what's going to happen in the future because of all the stuff they're doing here. All right. And he gave a sign the same day, saying, This is the sign which the Lord has spoken. Behold, the altar shall be rent, and the ashes that are upon it shall be poured out. And it came to pass, when King Jeroboam heard the saying of the man of God, which had cried against the altar of Bethel, that he put forth his hand from the altar, saying, Lay hold on him. And his hand, which he put forth against him, dried up, so that he could not pull it in again to him. So his hand just withered and dried up. When he went, he was reaching out to try to get a hold of and say, look, this guy, he's brought a bad word. I don't like it, and I want him uh, taken. And his hand shrivels up, dried up. Five, the altar was also rent, and the ashes poured out from the altar according to the sign which the man of God had given by the word of the Lord. And the king answered and said unto the man of God, Entreat now the face of the Lord thy God, and pray for me that my hand may be restored me again. And the man of God besought the Lord, and the king's hand was restored him again, and became as it was before." And the king said unto the man of God, Come home with me and refresh thyself, and I will give thee a reward. Well, he's deserving of it. He did an amazing thing. He's doing what God has told him to do. He's come from Judah. He's now here. He's shown a miracle, and he deserves a reward. But does he, get, does he go get it? And the man of God said unto the king, If thou wilt give me half thine house, I will not go in with thee, neither will I eat bread nor drink water in this place. For so was it charged me by the word of the Lord, saying, Eat no bread, nor drink water, nor turn again by the same way that thou camest. So the Lord had already told this prophet, that you don't drink anything, you don't eat anything, and you don't leave the way you came. You go another way. That's, that's just plain and simple. That's what you do. And that's what he's, he's determined to do. So he went another way. This is verse 10. So he went another way and returned not by the way that he came to Bethel. Now there dwelt an old prophet in Bethel. What? Wait a minute. If there's a prophet in Bethel, why did this guy have to come all the way from Judah or Judea? Have you ever read the story before? Have you ever wondered why? It's an old prophet. God's not using him. For some reason, 
You know what? There's a whole lot of so-called preachers all across America that aren't speaking God's word. They're not preaching God's word. They're old prophets that do nothing. It's happening today just like it happened back then. There are some terrible things going on in the churches. Some crazy doctrines, some crazy silence about things that are happening in our land and no and the the churches are not speaking out against them. But the ones who do, they're being attacked by the Jeroboams of the world. So he's a king. He shouldn't even have been doing the things that he was doing on the religious side of things. So there's this old prophet in Bethel, and his sons came and told him all the works that the man of God had done that day in Bethel, the words which he had spoken unto the king, them they told also to their father. Well, he didn't even go to this meeting. He's sitting back at home. And the sons come back, and they're very excited. He's a prophet, but they're not excited in their own home. They're not excited about him because he's doing nothing for God. But they're real excited when they see the real thing. And their father said unto them, What way went he? For his sons had seen what way the man of God went, which came from Judah. And he said unto his sons, Saddle me the ass, or donkey, so they saddled him the donkey, and he rode thereon, and went after the man of God, and found him sitting under an oak. And he said unto him, Art thou the man of God that cameth from Judah? And he said, I am. Then he said unto him, Come home with me and eat bread. And he said, I may not return with thee, nor go in with thee, neither will I eat bread nor drink water with thee in this place. For it was said to me by the word of the Lord, Thou shalt eat no bread nor drink water there, nor turn again to go by the way that thou camest. He said unto him, I am a prophet also, as thou art. Well, he's not the same kind of prophet, but he's saying he is. And and. An angel spake unto me by the word of the Lord, saying, Bring him back with thee into thine house, that he may eat bread and drink water. Now the word of God says, But he lied unto him. It's telling us that he's flat out lying to this man. Why is he doing this? The false preachers, the scared preachers that don't want to speak the word of God, when they see another person speaking the Word of God, they go after them and try to diminish them and to tear them down because they're making them look bad. For the most part, if you look across America right now, it's only the churches that are speaking out against the shedding of innocent blood, speaking against the transgender issues. You know, God made man and woman. And then you have someone who's troubled mentally and they're little kids, little tiny kids that are in kindergarten that say, I, a boy says, I want to be a girl, and they take him to the doctor. And churches won't even talk about it. They won't touch it because they're scared. 
I mean, there's all kinds of issues that are going on in America that are becoming kind of normal. You know, boys in high school competing on girls' teams and taking all the championships. And if you say something bad, if you say something against that, then you're the bad person. When all these girls are devastated that they've worked so hard to maybe even earn a scholarship to go to college, and now they're, they're getting uh, taken out of that position of, of maybe earning a scholarship. They, they were set to be the number one person in their state. They're going to win state, but this dude is claiming to be a girl, and now he's running and beating them by five minutes. And he gets the championship. And everybody goes, oh, how brave he is, coming out like he did. And, you know. and if a preacher preaches against it, then he's the bad guy. So, I think this old prophet is very upset that he has lost anything, anything that he had before, any glory that he had, and he has not been used by God to go in. Or maybe God tried to use him, but he just didn't want to cause a fuss. That is the king. I don't want to go speak against the king because he can have me killed. Well, the prophet from Judah didn't seem to care. He went right in there, and they were going to get him, and then God withered the, man, the king's hand. So now this guy, has, this old prophet, has just flat out lied against another prophet of God. He lied to him to get, to get him to come back with him and to eat and to drink. So he, so he went back with him and did eat bread in his house and drank water, and it came to pass as they sat at the table that the word of the Lord came unto the prophet that brought him back, and he cried unto the man of God that came from Judah, saying, Now God did speak to him. He spoke a word to him, and he realized that he had done a terrible thing by what he, all this lying that he did. He cried, Thus saith the Lord, for as much as thou hast disobeyed the mouth of the Lord, and hast not kept the commandment which the Lord thy God commanded thee, but camest back and hast eaten bread and drunk water in the place, of the which the Lord did say to thee, Eat no bread and drink no water, thy carcass shall not come unto the sepulcher of thy fathers. That's two times in one week that I've said that word. And I might have said it right, but tomb. So you, you, you're, you won't be buried within the tomb of your fathers. Sepulchre. Is that right? All right. Um, and it came to pass after he had eaten bread and after he had drunk, and he saddled for him the ass to wit for the prophet whom he had brought back. And when he was gone, a lion met him by the way and slew him, and his carcass was cast in the way, and the ass stood by it. The lion also stood by the carcass. So this fierce, ferocious lion comes out of nowhere, grabs this good man of God off the donkey, slays him, but does not hurt the body any more than that. Just kills him, and he's laying there, and the donkey is just standing there. Do you think a donkey would just stand there if a lion's right there? You would think that donkey would just take off, run for its life. But the donkey doesn't go anywhere. He stays right there with the man of God, who is now dead. And the lion is sitting on the other side, 
almost guarding the body of this man of God, the lion. Now this old prophet feels horrible about what he has done, but it's too late now. The man of God is dead. And he tells the sons to go and get the body. They, they go and they, they take the body. If you read on further, you'll see where they take the body and he is, is in fact buried in a tomb that's not anywhere close to where he lives. And the old prophet tells his sons, look, when I die, I want you to bury my bones next to this man's bones. And it eventually happens. And then when Josiah becomes king hundreds of years later, they're going in and they're cleaning up, and they take the bones of the bad, uh, the people who did idolatry and all that, and they're pulling the bones out, and they're burning the bones. But then they come across those two sets of bones, and they said, oh, wait, wait a minute. That's, that's the bones of the good prophet out of Judah. And then the guy who, who deceived him, don't burn those bones. So, so that, the good prophet, I don't think they, they burned his bones. Anyway, a whole lot to read. You, you know, if you're interested in that story, uh, go read it. And so the point of the whole story is, if you use your tongue because maybe you feel threatened by someone else that's doing more than you are, you don't want to hear the true Word of God because it convicts you, and you don't want to hear all those things, and you try to shut the man of God up, or you trick the man of God into believing something else by saying, oh, well, this is what the Bible says about it, and they falsely uh, interpret the Word and you're trying to get people to believe something that's not right, you might lead them astray, and it could be very bad outcome. So don't use the Word of God in a way that could hurt people, lead them astray. You know, it, it told us, in James it says, don't desire... You don't, want to, you don't want to be a teacher or, or a master. Be very cautious about teaching people the Word of God. Be very cautious. Now, we have testimonies. We, ha we have our own testimony about what God has done for us. We can speak that because it's ours. We know it. We know, all, we know Jesus. And you know enough about Jesus and what He did, you can speak that as much as you want. But until you become very grounded in certain doctrines of the Bible, you've got to be careful about teaching other people things. That's why we come together. And we, you keep me accountable. When I say something that doesn't line up with the Scripture, you pick up on it and you let me know about it. Then I can get it squared away. Whether it's an innocent mistake or something I'm just off on. If you think that I am off on something, I don't mind being talked to. I don't mind at all. There's people who are listening to this on podcasts, or people who listen to the CDs, and I'm talking to them too. Talk to me about it. Let me know. 
Because if there's some misunderstandings, you know, I, I listen to these things. I, now that it's on a podcast and I don't have to worry about putting a CD in, some, you know, I listen to the podcast. Not that I really want to. I'm the one that said it. Why do I need to listen to this? But I found out that there's some things I could do better. There's some, when I go to explain something, my brain gets ahead of my mouth. And I listen to it and go, ooh, I messed that up. It, that, if somebody was confused after that, I would understand why. That's why I say, ask questions, you know, ask me. When I did the thing a couple Sundays ago about without natural affection, and I kept saying nature, you know, it goes against nature. Certain things just go against nature. Certain things you see that just, it just doesn't feel right because it goes against nature. So if you see someone who is in love with a tree, that's what I was using as an example, they're in love with a tree. They are wanting to hug that tree. And they don't care about a person. They don't, they don't have any heart for a person. See, that's what the Bible says, without natural affection. See, we should have a heart for other people first. And then if you want to save a tree, great. But are you neglecting people and putting all your efforts into nature? Uh, things that God created that are just objects. When he made people in the likeness of his own image, I mean, we're special. So, and, and when I was talking about that, I was talking about the newer versions and how they take without natural affection and they put a word in like unloving. Well, that person's not being unloving to the tree. So it, it totally changes the meaning of without natural affection. It's saying you're not showing any affection, but really you are. And I didn't explain it real well after listening to it. I could have done a better job. What time is it? <clears throat> All right, we've got a little bit more time. Uh, we need to at least read the rest of this, and we're going to have to come back to, to some of this because I haven't covered it as much as I want. But as far as that speaking uh, in 11, and then knowing that there's... We, we can... This can be confusing when it says not judging other people. We have to make judgments on things, but we got to be careful how we do it, knowing that we are going to be judged by the law. Now, and what law is this? I think it's talking about that royal law that we saw over in probably chapter 2 of treat your neighbor as you want to be treated, love others. And sometimes it's telling them that whatever lifestyle they might be in or whatever things they're doing in their life, that it's wrong. And you're like, why judge me? You just read not to judge your, your fellow people. Well, you're, you're sinning against God. You're sinning against His Word. And so it might look loving to just ignore those things. Ignore sin in people's lives and go, well, I don't want to hurt their feelings, so I want them to come back. So I'm not going to say anything. Well, that would be not loving because you're allowing them to go in sin. And they might 
not be saved yet. They might die and go to hell forever and, and you didn't do what you were supposed to do. So we got to really think about what this says. And we got to know the rest of Scripture. Because I can only read this and convince you that you should never judge anybody else. And knowing, you might have somebody that you know you love and they're, and they're destroying their body with, with drugs or uh, a, a bad uh, lifestyle of sex with multiple people and they're going to get disease and they're going to just have a loathsome disease in their loins, which is in the Bible, and die a miserable death. And you feel like, I can't judge him because he just said not to judge. But there's all kinds of places where we're supposed to reach out and tell people that sin, you will, you're living in danger. You're going you're gonna to die before your time. And if you don't, under, so if you give somebody the gospel story and they want to say a prayer and they, they think they're saved, if they're really saved, they'll change. They, it, it, they might go back and do that sin, but it will feel different. It'll be like, something's not right with this. That burden will be on them. And they'll want to get it off. And only Jesus can do that for you. No matter how hard we try to be good, that burden's going to be there until we enter into the rest of Jesus Christ. Because you will be judged one day. It'll be by Jesus. You will be judged. It says it right here in 12. Who is able to save and to destroy. Now, uh, now next week, or maybe even Sunday, I don't know. Um, but I got a lot I want to talk about on this next verse in 13. Go now, ye that say, today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. We'll have to wait till next week because what I have to say on that's going to take another hour. I don't want to do that to you. Y'all have enough? You've been fed enough? You're full? I can't eat another bite. Don't give me any more. We're supposed to eat this up. We're supposed to eat the Word of God. All right, so we'll be done. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you for this opportunity that we have on Wednesday evenings to come together and to get into your word. Father, help every one of us. Help us. Father, I pray that we would walk in the Spirit, that we would believe your words. And Father, guard, help us guard against those who will speak things that are lies. Father, those who have words that might convince us to turn another way, Father, help us and protect us as we live in this world that seems to be against all of your ways. Father, help us to have strength and to stand secure in your word. Thank you, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.